Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm not going to spend a lot of time introducing my guest. It's Catherine O'Hara. You've seen her in Beetlejuice and Home Alone and pretty much every Christopher Guest movie. She is, and this is not an exaggeration, one of the funniest people alive. Recently, Catherine won a much-deserved Emmy for her lead role on the TV show Schitt's Creek. That's S-C-H-I-T-T, by the way. It's a show about a wealthy family, the Roses, who are forced to relocate to a tiny rural town after losing their entire fortune. For all of its six seasons, Catherine played Moira Rose, mother to David and Alexis, wife to Johnny Rose, played by Eugene Levy. She was, of course, terrific on the show. Moira. Moira. Oh, no. I just finally cried myself to sleep. The bed's soaking wet. Is it blood? No, there's a there's a leak in the sailor. There's a brown, disgusting drip coming. Look at Oh my God! I can't do this it. This place is a dump. I it's tried. a dump. You know what? It's a hellhole. I tried, John, but I can't. I talked with Catherine in 2013, and as you're about to hear, she really hit the ground running. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest Catherine O'Hara has spent a career perfectly capturing the magic of the slightly cockeyed. From her work on SCTV to the improvised faux documentaries of Christopher Guest. Not physically, like with a cockeyed perspective. Oh, nice way to start. Okay. Yeah, and you're fat. Let's go. Wait. Listen to. Okay, here we go. From her work on SCTV to the improvised faux documentaries of Christopher Guest, she's inhabited beautiful, confident characters who are just slightly, perfectly off. And, of course, there's also this. <laughs> a leading role in Home Alone, which remains one of the biggest comedy hits of all time. Here she is with her former SCTV castmate Eugene Levy in a scene from Best in Show. She and Levy are hosting a birthday party for their Norwich Terrier, and they're singing a little Norwich Terrier song. <laughs> God loves a terrier. Yes, he does. God loves a terrier. That's because small, sturdy, bright, and true. They give their love to you. God didn't miss a stitch. Be it dog or be it. When he made the Norwich merrier with its cute little terrier. Yes, God loves a terrier. <laughs> Catherine O'Hara, welcome to Bullseye. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm scared. I, I want to play a clip of you on SCTV. Um, this is a sketch that I read you wrote. Uh, <laughs> I, I read will... you wrote. I read that you wrote. It's always difficult to attribute uh, sketches on uh, oh, sketch I'll... TV shows because... Um, high Q? Is yes. it High Q? Yeah. yeah, I did write that. Okay, great. Um, Although and... it had to be edited by others, but yes. In, in this scene, uh, you are a contestant on a high school quiz quiz bowl type show, uh, <laughs> and the host is played by Eugene Levy. Now let's start the game. The first question worth 20 points, and the subject is authors. 
Margaret Meehan, Parkdale. Henry Miller. <laughs> I'm sorry, Margaret. Let me please uh, finish the question first, all right? Uh, what famous... Margaret Meehan, Parkdale. Victor Hugo. Oh, I'm sorry, Margaret. If you just uh, let me finish the question first, see how it works. Okay. What famous humorist... <laughs> Margaret Meehan, Parkdale. Jerry Lewis. <laughs> Margaret, I'll have to ask you to please let me finish the question before answering, because that answer was extremely wrong. The question is, I want the name of the famous humorist and author who wrote The Adventures of Huckleberry... St. Anthony's Leonard Mandel. Finn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had fun. The bit, the bit that's missing from the audio of that is you pulling this face that is like this combination of enthusiasm, consternation, and idiocy that is just unparalleled. I mean, just untouchable. Just a gorgeous take. Oh, thanks. Now it makes me think that, that, that she would be somebody who would have get that reaction from people all the time. People are always telling her, shut up, wait, stop talking. But she cannot stop herself, ever. And that's a wonderful thing to watch. Oh, I don't think you can lose with... And I'm not saying that's totally in that character, that, that I mean, in that um, category, that character. But you can't lose with stupid and cocky. I mean, you look at the jerk, Steve Martin and the jerk, or... Will or, Ferrell's entire oh, oeuvre. Uh, definitely. Or Steve Carell in The Office, or Ricky Gervais in The Office. It's just people who are totally oblivious to the impression they're making on others. Or uh, the original, um, Barney Fife. You know, something to brag about, something to say. I have no idea what other people are thinking. You can rarely go wrong with that. What was it like being on the show, when, especially at the beginning, when you had this, you had a male-dominated cast. There was two women in the cast of the show. Yeah. Both really brilliant. Um, <laughs> but all of these dudes, and did yeah. you have to sort of say, like, hey, we get to do something here, too? Yeah. All the time. All the time. And for a long time, when I first started writing on the show, I would tell my idea to Dave Thomas, and then he would say it out loud. And then I'd be mad that he got a laugh. Like, that's my... Then I'd say, that was my idea. Just sad. You know? And, and also, the Andrea and I keep saying this. The producer hates this. But it's true. We got paid less as writers. We all came from Second City Theater, where we all wrote the material. But somehow, the two women were paid less than the men. For a while. I mean, we finally got, you know equity later on but it was pretty early in you know women's liberation i guess women's lib talk it really women were still fighting for it and, and you know it's sad i mean they're still in vanity fair writing well not vanity fair generally but they let that poor fellow write that article about women not being funny um and i remember at the time somebody had written in a toronto paper a story about how women aren't funny and one of the guys put it up on the board and they would point, Andrea and I would give an idea, and they'd point to that article. So, oh, you, jeez Louise. It was a different time. It really was. Did you have to change the way that you approached working on the show because of that? Did you have to think about what you were doing differently? Like, like learn to be the person that says your idea so no one else can take credit for it? And Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Dave was helping out by repeating the line. I guess he got the material on the air sometimes, but... Um, yeah, eventually I got stronger and stronger and realized, wait, this isn't right. What am I being so wimpy about? And I've got some material here. I've got ideas like everyone else. I should just not, you know, it's so sad to be self-conscious or insecure. It just gets in the way of life. 
You left SETV before it was finished. Why did you decide to leave? I swear it was to try to meet somebody and maybe get married. <laughs> really? Time. Yeah. That or maybe I'm just lazy. It was too much work. I don't know. Did that no, seem- I did feel that way at the time. I remember really. By that time, Andrea was married and had kids. And uh, the guys were, I think most of them were married. And, and that was my life. I just, that's all I did. And I guess it hit me or slowly hit me, slowly smacked me. The fact that, okay, and then what? Then what are you doing? This is going to end at some point. What are you going to do? I can only imagine how all-consuming it was. I mean, I, you know what I mean? It was all-consuming, but it was great. And at that age, I've I've often thought since that that early 20s is just a perfect age to be doing that kind of material. You're not, for the most part, you're not married. You don't have kids. You have all the time in the world to devote to that. I mean, it's perfect as a job, as a boss to hire people that age too, right? And you're also young enough that you're cocky, really cocky. Um, and you believe you could do the world better, do everything better and smarter, and that you have a great take on why things are ridiculous. And, you know, it's just a great cocky, fun time to be able to do that What kind of work. Usually when people leave a job like that, they leave it because they think they're going to be a star, right? Am I mistaken in thinking that? I think they do probably, yeah. They think, this is holding me back. No. Well, this is lame. But, like, the next, after I quit, went to a party at Marty Short's and... He put together like a, a reel for me and started showing at the party, and all I did was weep. It just made me cry forever, like that I'd left this, that it was my, that was my life, and I'd dared to leave it, and now they were showing me that I'd made a mistake. I don't. It was such a weird emotional time for me. Yeah, I really wondered where my life was going. I think. In between when you left SCTV. And Beetlejuice, which is like 1988 or something like that. It sounds about right to me. Yeah, is that right? Um, wow. In between those two things, you did two movies. Yeah, you I did, did After Hours in there, didn't I? After Hours, which is amazing. If anybody hasn't seen After Hours, it's a really wonderful, hilarious, uh, amazing movie. Yeah. Scorsese. With Martin yeah. Scorsese. And you did another movie directed by Mike Nichols. Heartburn, yeah. Which, uh, yeah I should be so lucky. Right. I mean, I know it's it's a remarkable thing to think you weren't working a lot, but you did take an opportunity to work with Mike Nichols and Martin (laughs) Martin Scorsese. Scorsese, Yeah, poor me. Okay, I'll leave the house and work with them. (laughs) Who are they? All right. Even more with Catherine O'Hara still to come. Don't go anywhere. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. There are these networks of staunchly pro-gun groups on Facebook. And one of them is run by these three brothers, the Door Brothers. But it turns out, they don't just do guns. The Door family name has been attached to other causes. Their goal is to eliminate public education and to replace it with Christian schooling. The Roots of the Door Family, on the No Compromise podcast from NPR. Hello there, ghouls and gals. It is I, April Wolf. I'm here to take you through the twisty, scary, heart-pounding world of genre cinema on the exhilarating program known as Switchblade Sisters. The concept is simple. 
I invite a female filmmaker on each week and we discuss their favorite genre film. Listen in closely to hear past guests like the Babadook director, Jennifer Kent, Winter's Bone director, Deborah Granick, and so many others every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Tune in if you dare. <laughs> it's actually a very thought-provoking show that deeply explores the craft and philosophy behind the filmmaking process while also examining film through the lens of the female gaze. So, like, you should listen. Switchblade Sisters. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Catherine O'Hara. She's a comedy legend. She starred in classics like A Mighty Wind and Waiting for Guffman, had unforgettable parts in Home Alone and Beetlejuice. For the last six or so years, she's starred on the sitcom Schitt's Creek. That's S-C-H-I-T-T. At the Emmy Awards a few weeks ago, the show swept the comedy category, including a much-deserved award for Catherine herself. Let's get back into my 2013 conversation with Catherine O'Hara. In a pretty narrow period of time, you were in Beetlejuice and Home Alone. Um, and Beetlejuice was a big hit. Home Alone at the time was the biggest hit oh, yeah. in comedy history. That's the biggest thing I've ever been in, yeah. What was it like to be in that? Did you think, oh, now I'm going to, uh, now I should be a movie star of giant, the next Home Alone thing, like thing? You would think. No, I don't. I, I can't, I don't know. I can't think that way. Um, Did you, you pull back from it? Did you think like, oh, I'm, mm, mm. I never, I never felt it had that much to do with me. You know, I was in the movie and I played the mom and that was great. But it was about Macaulay and it was about the writing and the directing and it was just about the whole thing. You know, and I was proud to be part of it, definitely, because not only was it a big moneymaker and still plays, but it's a good movie. Did you ever want to be a movie star, movie star? Um, I would like good roles. Whether, yeah, I would like good roles. Was there, but, but I, mean, I don't, was do there, I need more was, fame? No, I get just enough thanks, really. The, the, reason, the reason I ask is because I, I think of, um, that time in your life and I can think of few people as this will sound like some kind of ridiculous flattery but <laughs> who are as funny as you are and as and as good looking um, and I think oh. and I think it had to be a choice not to pursue that not to want to be front and center in yeah. stuff in stuff it was either a choice or just ignorance or I was being guided. Um, I'm happy where I'm at now and I'm lucky to still work. And uh, so it worked out. But uh, I definitely, you know, blew off a lot of opportunities. You know, agents that I would meet. I mean, really big agents who <laughs> represent really high-powered people. And I'd look at them and just... I don't know if I like that shirt he's wearing. You know, just <laughs> to be fair, I mean, stupid. Just... Really high-powered agents who represent really important, powerful people are often <laughs> creepy, weird dudes that you wouldn't want to talk to. That's one of the things that makes them so successful, right? Isn't that funny? They're weird sociopaths. But they were good people. We were apo- I apologized to one years later. <laughs> I did it at a party, at a very fair party. Okay, you wanted to represent me. I just want to say I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't understand who you were or what you were doing, okay? I just want to say now thank you for caring and trying to, to represent me. 
One of the um, one of the really wonderful things in your career, I think, is that you got to be in these uh, in this series of Christopher Guest movies. Yeah. Um, uh, along with, among others, uh, Eugene Levy, who you'd worked with for so many bajillions of years. And, <laughs> yeah. And all of the other and all the other amazing people in those films. Um, when Waiting for Guffman came up. Uh, how did how did it come up to you? Did like Chris Guest just call you and say like, "Hey, I somehow got two million dollars or whatever it was, and we're gonna make a movie"? No, he didn't call. It was all through the agent, and I resisted forever. Did you know it? Yes, I'd met him. Oh, I liked him. Yeah, I just didn't get. I'm not that bright, obviously. I didn't get what he was going for, and I guess there was no real script to. There was no script at the time. <laughs> See, I think I'm guided more than has anything to do with my brains. You got a couple of really wonderful scenes in the movie, um, which is obviously a, a big ensemble piece. If folks haven't seen it, I, I feel bad for you because it's real funny. But uh, it's a big ensemble piece. And yeah. one of the scenes, probably your biggest, most crucial scene, uh, I can't play on the radio. So I'm going to play... <laughs> I'm going to play this uh, other scene, which is also wonderful. The movie is about uh, a small-town amateur theater production, and this is you and your husband in the film, played by Fred Willard, uh, auditioning for it. Ding dong! Oh, I wonder who knows I'm vacationing here at the Oasis. Am I late? You! Surprised? How did you find me? I have my ways. Would you like to come in for coffee? You don't need to answer. There's no need to speak. I'll be your belly dancer. One of the things that I love about your character during this movie is, you know, Fred Willard, is bloviating in just full force, like gale force winds, while you just sit next to him and make these little faces the whole time. <laughs> what choice do you have next to Fred Willard? <laughs> he said, we have to wear those sweatsuits that we're wearing in that, oh, those horrible um, exercise suits. Just grotesque suits. like warm-up suits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're like and purple said, Fred, and Fred, no, and come turquoise. on. We could wear something. You know, I'm thinking something attractive and enough. Funny, but it's slightly attractive. No, no. It's like, then I would just finally, yeah, you're right. Okay. Like, just don't do what you would normally do. Don't make your own choices. It was really fun to, to go along with him. Um, I'm going to now allude to something that is slightly adult in subject matter, a scene in this film. So if you have kids, uh, you know. Let it, them hear this. <laughs> And hopefully they'll go into comedy someday. <laughs> so look, he, smart, smart, dirty is okay. Yeah. I'd rather have my kid watch Trailer Park Boys than Barney. That's scary, scary now, granted, show. With the your, automaton kids. Your kids are teenagers, so it no, makes more sense. No, when they were younger, <laughs> <for> <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little scary. I would have said this years Park ago Boys. too. In your um, it, it, so it, you, there's this. There's this sort of climactic scene for your character, which is you've been sort of your your character is very beaten down by Fred Willard's character, and you sit down you sit down to a couple's dinner with Eugene Levy's character and his wife, and and you um and you get drunk, uh huh, and start 
I think I woke up drunk that day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and start spewing a combination of anti-Semitism and intimate details about a, what we'll call a gentleman's reduction surgery. Yes. That is just stunning. Was it was which I, now I know those movies have kind of outlines. Yeah. Um, All the dialogue is improvised. That Chris Guest and, and Eugene Levy write together. Yes. W- was that scene in... No, the- it wasn't. That was, I think it was uh, Fred or Eugene's idea that they should have a double date. I think it was Fred's maybe. And then Eugene suggested the night before at this Chinese restaurant or something, and, and they got it. They got, the, you know, they rented it or whatever to use for a few hours. And... I think I may have asked Chris, because you normally wouldn't run anything by him, but it was a pretty obvious thing to, to not be able to hide. So I asked, I think I asked him if I could play drunk. And he said, yeah, sure. Because uh, he always said yes. Um, for the most part. I can't tell what he said no to me. <laughs> Never mind. Oh, I'm so sorry. Never mind. Okay. okay. So, um, yeah, I think I asked him the night before if I could be drunk. And otherwise, no, none of it was in the outline or... It's something. Yeah. It's a really wonderful character moment for your character because, really as fun. much as she is saying horrible things, it is also her like it's her great moment to be herself. Yeah, some people have to get loaded to let the truth come out, and it's not a truth you necessarily want to hear. Was it? I wasn't anti-Semitic though. It was just ignorant, wasn't it? Yeah, it well, was. Guess... Yeah, anti-Semitic is probably stretching it. Yeah. She starts talking about what she calls Jew stuff. (laughs) I really like the way that um, each of those films uh, really looks at couple relationships. I think that's sort of at the center of them. And and in fact, when in A Mighty Wind, where you're paired with Eugene Levy, your character barely has any jokes it's really that storyline is a is a relationships storyline yeah i was worried about that at the beginning yeah there's no it's not a funny character my my um mickey yeah yeah. did you think about this obviously not romantic but this sort of long fruitful relationship you'd had with eugene levy oh you can't i don't think you can help but draw on it whether it's consciously or unconsciously or subconsciously yeah Unconsciously, probably. Um, no, you can't help. I mean, that's lovely. I mean, you have, and it, it. I think it even worked more so for anyone in the audience who knew that Eugene and I had known each other that long. Being on stage again with Mitch was a great thing. Oh boy, I never thought it was possible, and there we were. Just wish he didn't take things so seriously. You know, that damn kiss. My sister, well, they were all at the show, but my sister Jocelyn said, you let him on. You shouldn't have kissed him if you didn't want to go all the way. And what a great thing about improvising these kind of movies is you really help create each other. You know, by the way, by the way you treat each other and by what you say about each other, it's like, you know, in my mind, went, oh, that's who, yeah. Oh, so I'm that person. <laughs> oh, I did that kind of thing? Okay, that changes who I was thinking of. You know what I mean? You really can affect each other that way. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, when Eugene started shooting, he got real nervous about how he was playing it. I think he, he really got into it. So it made him feel ungrounded. You know, he had this idea that he was just 
beautifully talented, but had some demons or angels who were confusing him. I've never been in better headspace. Uh, I'm writing uh, poetry again. I'm going through a very uh, prolific uh, phase. Little Brian Wilson-y. There you go, yeah. But he got really nervous, and I think that's where I would say our old friendship came up, that that I had the ability and nerve to say, Eugene, no, you're, no, this is beautiful. Don't be afraid. Just stay with this. You're, it's so, and I'm, and it was like, I was, I was there as, as Mickey. I'm with you. I'm so with you right now, you know. So I guess that's where it came in more, our friendship. Well, Catherine O'Hara, I sure appreciate you making the time to be on Bullseye. Oh, I'm sorry for my long answers. Oh, not at all. It was, it was, a, it was an honor to get to talk to you. Oh, no, for me. Thank you. Catherine O'Hara, she's the greatest. If you haven't had a chance to watch the Emmy-winning Schitt's Creek, again, S-C-H-I-T-T, and yes, we have to spell it out for legal reasons, the first five seasons are streaming on Netflix and a bunch of other platforms as well. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is produced out of the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where my six-year-old son is running approximately 40% rate of, upon completing talking to me and turning around to walk away, letting loose wind. The children, they are our future. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio and Jordan Cowling are our associate producers. We get help from Casey O'Brien as well. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. You can also keep up with the show on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. 